Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. Last week I talked about belonging. Everybody say, I belong. belong. Everybody say, the Lord knows me. me. Amen. Everybody say, I know his voice. Everybody say, I follow him. Everybody say, no man is going to be able to pluck me out of his hand, nor the Father's hand. Come on, nobody, nobody. So tonight, another moment that we call Precious Moments, we're going to talk about the ministry of encouragement. It is a gift that many people know not of. They don't know the gift of encouragement. But it's one of the greatest gifts in the Bible that is most unused gift in the Bible. There's a lot of people who want to speak in tongues and interpret and prophesy and give a word of wisdom, a word of faith. But there's a beautiful thing. There's a beautiful thing in having the spirit of encouragement in your life. We're going to talk about encouragement tonight. And Paul addresses the Thessalonians. We're going to talk a little bit about that. He said, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, verse 5, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you nor anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God of, uh, uh, so, uh, so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For ye know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own kids, his children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, become imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. And then there's a beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 6 and 7 in the King, New King James. I want to read to you, and I will, I'll refer to this. Everyone helped his neighbor. Everybody say, everybody helped his neighbor. And said to his brother... Be of good courage. courage. Turn to somebody and say, be be of good courage. So the craftsman encouraged the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer inspired him who strikes the anvil, saying, it is ready for the soldering. And when he fastened it with pegs that it might not totter. God wants to set you up and not have a waver in your walk, 
Amen. God wants to set you straight and let you know that somebody is pulling on your behalf for you. Amen. I want to speak to you tonight on the ministry or the gift of encouragement. You may be seated one more time. I promise you I'm not lengthy tonight. Have you ever noticed that men and women differ in their use of humor? Men's humor is so competitive, and therefore many times it's sarcastic. I've got guys in this church, when they play golf with me, treat me as if I can't hit a ball 100 yards. And I'm fixing to call their names. And when they get up to hit, I say, okay, I've hit it 100 yards. What, you going to hit it 80? Because I can give back as good as I get on the golf course. Now, not here. I'll let you say whatever you want. I'm not going to come back at you, but my humor on the golf course is pretty stout. <laughs> Women's humor is more supportive. You women go shopping. Ha, oh, ha, oh, that would look so good on you. Oh, God. <laughs> not me, but oh. Not us. Famed comedian George Byrne remembered, especially for the television show he hosted with his wife, Gracie Allen, was roasted by some of his male friends. Here's what they had to say. You'll remember these names. Bob Hope said, the first time I saw George Burns on the stage, I could see he had what it took to become a big star. He had Gracie Allen. That's cold-blooded. Walter Matthau said, I did the Sunshine Boys with George. And everything I know about acting, I learned from, and he paused, and he said, Jack Lemon. <laughs> Steve Allen said, I was very excited about George's last book because I thought it was his last book. <laughs> Milton Burrow said, I have to say this about my friend George. He looks just the same today as he looked 40 years ago, very old. <laughs> That's male humor, folks. Red Buttons said, George Burns, what a man. He read in the paper that it takes $10 a year to support a kid in India, so he sent all of his kids there. <laughs> Those guys were funny without being nasty, you know what I mean? And Bob Newhart said, the way George Burns sings, even E.F. Hutton doesn't listen. <laughs> now, I can't imagine women roasting one another like that, at least in public. Women don't do that. Can you imagine a woman MC saying about another woman, she looks just the same today as she looked 40 years ago. Very old. But generally when women make remarks like that, it's not meant as a joke. <laughs> At least that's my observation because I raised three daughters and I live with a wife. And we buried a female dog. It's a cliche, of course. In a generation that understands that men are from Mars and women are from. But men tend to be more competitive in their communication and women tend to be more relational. Women are apt to encourage one another more than a man would. You'll hear it in church. One woman will meet another and she'll say, wow, you look good in that dress. Turn around. Let me look at the backside. Let me look at you. Oh, your heels and all that. And man, they go on and on. I believe you've had your hair done recently. Is that a new color? <laughs> Women do that. It looks so good on you. I wish I looked good like that in that kind of situation. 
Can you imagine two men greeting each other that same way? <laughs> hey, Bill, hey. Boy, you look handsome today. <laughs> you look buff in that suit, man. Can you turn around and let me look at it from behind? No, 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 no. That don't happen. Kind of sad a little, isn't it? Sometimes on Sunday morning I dress up a little better than other days. Patty encourages me. And, and, and women will come in and say, Pastor, you look so nice today. and Thank you. And guys will say, is that new? <laughs> no, it's not. It's 30 years old, but thanks for noticing. <laughs> it's just how men and women do it. Everybody say, we all need encouragement. I'm going to put on the board here this. There is not a soul here who is offended when someone gives them a genuine compliment. You know why you're ready for the word when I get up to preach? Because I always compliment this church. And I do it because I mean it. Because I am a blessed man. I'm a blessed man to pastor this congregation. And I never have lost the wonder of being able to even call myself a saved child of God. But then get to preach the gospel. And then get to be sent to Austin, Texas in the will of God. And then to see a church like this erupt in the name of the Lord. It is an honor to pastor people like yourself. That's a genuine compliment. And you like that when I say it. If you don't like it, you are a bah humbug. (laughs) A man was talking about his grandson, Wanda, a little two-year-old child with Down syndrome. And like most kids that age, he said, our grandson has difficulty understanding the word no. He's always testing the limits. However, I noticed if you applaud him for anything, he is apt to do it again. The same thing. So I'm learning to say no less often and to say good job a lot more often. And that's true for everyone. The wonderful philosopher Dr. Samuel Johnson once put it this way. He said, the applause of a single human is of great consequence. Wife, when you compliment your husband... Husband, when you compliment your wife, parents, when you compliment your kids, when you compliment your grandkids, when you compliment family members, it is of great, great consequence. I think we need to turn to one another, not say anything, just smile and say, after a while, I'm going to compliment you. It's kind of like that. Just smile at them. Even our greatest president, and I'll call him that because Abraham Lincoln served in a very difficult time needed tangible encouragement to spur his sometimes sagging confidence. When he was tragically killed in the Ford Theater that fateful night, several items were found in his pocket, an embroidered handkerchief, a watch, some Confederate money, yes, Confederate money. But the most interesting of all the things found was a ragged copy of a newspaper article. The article had been written during the time of great controversy and turmoil in our country. And in the text of the article, the writer, the writer extolled Lincoln's virtues, approving of the decisions he had made at that tough time in office. And Lincoln never threw that paper away. He carried it in his pocket. Lincoln was not different than the rest of us. He needed to be appreciated. He cherished applause from those who observed him. 
And there was no one in this room. And there's no one here who does not need that from time to time. Everybody say, we all need to be affirmed, appreciated, and applauded. And if I could let you see into heaven today, and if I could see there for myself, there's a lot of angels up there saying, way to go, children of God. There's a, there's a cloud of witnesses up there saying, keep on, keep on, keeping on. Because they have run the race and they have finished the course and they have fought the good fight. And they're saying, hang in there, child of God, because you're doing great in your life. And if we could hear the heavenlies and hear the angels around us, they're saying, you're doing a great job. But tonight you got a pastor saying, you're in the house of God on Wednesday night. And God appreciates and loves who you are and what you're doing for the kingdom. Come on, clap your hands and say amen to that. We all need it. Even Jesus needed affirmation. Even Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, he needed appreciation. He needed encouragement. Matthew 17 and Mark 9 and Luke 9 all tell the story of Transfiguration Mountain. There were three disciples with him that day, Peter, James, and John. And when they got on top of that mountain, his garments turned glistering white. And they realized they were in the presence of not just a mere man, but a God-man. Because hmm. he was all God. He was all man. And Luke is a little more involved in the attitude of the visit of Moses and Elijah. Because I've often asked myself, why were they there? Now, I believe I know why Moses was probably there. Because he said, I want to see your glory. And the Lord never forgets somebody asking to see something of him. He said, I'm going to let my goodness pass by, but you'll not be able to see my glory because no man can see my face and live. And Moses saw the hinder parts of God, which we know is the creation. That's how he wrote the creation. But 1,500 years later, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, here shows up Moses. And the Lord said, here's my glory. Hallelujah. And I, I think I know why Elijah was there. Because Elijah was a miracle worker. And he never saw death in the Old Testament. He was translated. He was taken out of here. And the Lord just wanted to put him in the New Testament and let him see the revelation of the invisible God in the body of Jesus Christ. And, and, and in Luke chapter 9 verse 31, it's not on the screen, but it speaks of Moses and Elijah appearing in glory. And they spoke of Jesus' decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. So please indulge me just a moment. Let me just do a little of my own thinking here and just let you hear my inner thinking. I truly believe these Old Testament characters appeared to speak to Jesus' man's side about his death and that his death would not be final, but it would be worthwhile. And Moses, Moses, I think, came up to him and said, Jesus, let me tell you something. I know what it is to get people to the brink of the promised land. But they're not able to go in until I pass. And when I pass, a new leader takes them in. My death opened up the door of the new place. And Elijah came to him and said, I know what you're thinking, Jesus, because I was a miracle worker also. And I performed seven miracles. But when the fiery chariot took me to the heavenlies, this mantle that I had fell on one that would do twice the miracles as I had done. And I know that's bothering you perhaps just a little bit. But I want you to know it's all right. 
And later Jesus said in John 14, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. I believe Moses encouraged him about dying and Elijah encouraged him about passing it on to people who would do greater works. Here's what I'm telling you. Even Jesus needed encouragement and affirmation and applause in this life. And he still does. The Bible said he inhabits the praise of his people. Somebody say it to him right now. I love you, Jesus. Come on. Magnify the Lord right now. I appreciate and love who you are. Paul was an encourager. He was an encourager. He applauded those who deserved to be applauded. And he affirmed those who needed to be affirmed. He was continually expressing his appreciation for people who kept the churches going in Philippi and Thessalonica and elsewhere. Now let me tell you. There's two churches that Paul truly, truly loved. And one of them was Philippi. And the other was Thessalonica. And I'm going to give you the reasons why here in just a moment. But Philippi's where he and, he and Silas had great pain. It was in a Philippian jail that they suffered stripes on their back and stocks and bonds on their hands and feet. And the Philippian jailer beat them with stripes because they adjured a demon to come out of a girl. And, and her masters sought to use her for gain. And they, they arrested Paul and Silas and put them in the inner prison. And they beat them with, 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 with whips. And they put them in chains and in stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas began to pray and sing praises. And the jailhouse rocked. That, they didn't need Elvis back in that day. They had Paul and Silas. And the jailhouse started rocking. I'm going to tell you something. Praise worked back then and praise still works now. Prayer worked back then and prayer still works now. Boy, I feel like preaching a little bit right now. And, 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 and Philippi was where Epaphroditus came from because he was a man that loved Paul even in his chains. There was something special about that Philippi church because Paul suffered much to put it into action. And yet he was taken care of greatly by the people in the Philippian church. And I love the book of Philippians and I love to teach it because Paul writes to those people beautiful stuff. But the Thessalonica church was just like that to Paul. Because see the Thessalonica church was when Demas hath forsaken me. Having loved this present world and has departed unto where? Thessalonica. Now that's not a downer. When Paul said that, that's an upper, that's an encouraging statement because Thessalonica believed in bringing people back to God again. They believed in redemption. They believed that backsliders could come back again. They believed in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed in helping one another. They believed in loving one another. And they believed in the gift of encouragement in that church. And Paul said, if I can just get, if I just know that Demas can get to Thessalonica, I think that his life will be turned around and he won't be lost. And we don't know what happened, but I guarantee you, I'm going to say something right now. I guarantee you, Demas, when he got to Thessalonica somebody found him and somebody brought him to Jesus and somebody restored him and somebody helped him get on the road again because there's nothing like the gift of encouragement when we give it to people in need come on say amen to that that's good stuff so he writes he writes and I've already read this but he, he wrote it again put, put it up for you know 
that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own kids. Encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into this kingdom and to this glory. Paul was an encourager. Thank God for encouraging preachers. And that's important. Everyone needs to be encouraged. The world has enough critics. Can you say amen to that? We need more encouragers. I read read something interesting recently about Japan. You know, the world has made advances in the science of aromatherapy. Aromatherapy has to do, obviously, with smells. You know that. But here's what's fascinating. There's a department store in Japan that pumps an unpleasant scent all around its complaint department. The department store hopes to cut out on customers' complaints by making their complaint department as unpleasant as possible. Now, folks, that's funny. I don't care who you are. That's funny. I believe they're on to something. Because the world has so many complainers. Have you ever just sat in a restaurant and heard people around you, how they address the wait staff and how nothing's ever right and how nothing's ever just the way it ought to be? How do people like that get along in life? And then when they don't get the service they want because nobody wants to hang around that, it stinks. They put a penny on the ketchup bottle and walk out. But actually, criticism gives off its own unpleasant aroma. It fouls the air in homes. It fouls the air in offices and government. Wherever people are tempted to fill the air with negative thoughts. Motivational speaker Zig Ziglar had a name for it. He called it stinking thinking. And that's what it is. What we need are people who fill the air with the aroma of encouragement in this hour. And I'm fixing to change courses here. And I believe that's one reason God gave us grandparents. Because I are one. Every parent knows. At least they know intellectually how important it is to give encouragement to their kids. Experts tell us that for every criticism... A child hears she or he needs to hear 10 attaboys or 10 girls for every time they're corrected and criticized. But humans are human. And parents are human. And sometimes emotions do bubble over. And sometimes we get beside ourselves. And sometimes we get to screaming at our kids. Oh, I'm preaching now. And it's helpful to, in such situations to have another family member who will be there when the with unconditional love, when the parents boil over, the grandparents say, let me have the child this day. <laughs> hey, son, look here, I got some candy. <laughs> I had a grandmother that was off the chain. My mother's mother was the bomb. My mother's mother was the bomb. She was off the chain. She'd say, when you get tired of them talking to you, come in here and I'll give you some good stuff. She came all the way to West Texas for my ordination. And she set me down one day and she said, Now, if you're going to be a good preacher, son, you can't lamb blast people. You got to love people. Now, if I hear you lamb blasting somebody, you, she said, You know that razor strop I got in that, in that drawer right over there, that little razor strop? I'll come and find you and I'll tear you up. <laughs> and I loved every minute of it. 
I knew she didn't mean it. She was my grandmother. She loved me. And she said, and when people say, you're not fitting to preach, she said, you tell them, your grandmother said you were fitting to preach. (laughs) She said, because people that said you were called to preach will turn around and say, what in the world did I ever believe that about you about? And said, they'll tell you you're not called to preach. But he said, you tell them, your grandmother said, you're a preacher. And I believe in you. And she died and she went away and I got to do something at her funeral and I was so happy I got to speak at her funeral. But I'm here to tell you, I'm here to declare to you, there's something special about people who love unconditionally. Richard Farmer is a professor at Gordon College and much sought after motivational speaker. And he was a young kid. His grandparent bought him a small plastic cartoon projector as a Christmas present. And the grandparents brought a couple of reels of black and white cartoons and his grandfather taught Richard how to thread the projector. And he patiently demonstrated to Richard how to bend the film around the sprockets and thread it to the take-up reel. And after one demonstration, his grandfather said, now you try it, Richard. And Richard threaded the projector correctly. And his grandfather said, I have the smartest grandson in the world. And years later, Richard asked his granddad, said, do you remember that incident? His grandfather said, well, no, son, I don't remember that. He said, for all the years following that day until now, said Richard, I have thought I was the brightest, most skillful, most teachable, most quick to catch on of any man in this world. Then he added, I would probably also have remembered if my grandfather had said I have the dumbest grandson in the whole world and my life might have demonstrated my belief. A simple word of encouragement from his granddad was life-changing for Richard Farmer. Let me say something to you. I'm not asking you to come up here and give me chocolates tonight and give me red hots and give me drinks of water and give me Dr. Pepper and Blue Bell if you think I preach good, but I hope you leave this place tonight, not with a critical attitude or a critical spirit. I hope you leave here tonight with the spirit of a grandparent that says, hey, everybody needs a chance. And I'm going to be a complimenter. I'm going to be an encourager. I'm going to be somebody that lifts somebody up. I'm going to be somebody that cares enough to say, you're doing good in the kingdom of God. Keep it up. Amen. Ben Burton was a writer who tells about a member of his family that he simply calls blank. He just calls him blank. Blank the kid who didn't fit in. Blank It's not his real name, but Ben wants to protect his identity. Blank couldn't do anything right, but one day Blank's grandfather took him fishing. And Blank made an impressive catch. His grandfather told him he's the best young fisherman he had ever seen. And after that, everything in Blank's life changed. He fished constantly. He began to win tournaments and acclaim. His grades improved. He became more sociable. And he eventually, Blank eventually graduated from college and became a powerful attorney in Arkansas. He married a lovely lady and raised a family, fought in World War II. He was decorated for bravery. His grandfather's encouragement had opened up new horizons for blank. What I'm telling you is that you can fill in the blank. Just fill in the blank. Your kids need to hear you say, I believe in you. Your kids, last night, last night I took some of the board of directors out to look at some property and we walked on the property and we prayed a little bit and we got back in the van and I was driving and sitting right behind me was John McDaniel. And, 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 and I, I, didn't even, I didn't want John to even think I was listening. 
But John was talking to someone there beside him. And, and he said, you know, I, I, I sure got a, a neat little granddaughter. She's my buddy. He said, I take her to school and go get her every day. It takes me two hours, but it's the most beautiful two hours of my life. And I'm just listening to all this. He said, she has a little surgery on her ear today and said I'm a little worried about her and about that time granddaughter called and granddaughter was asking about going to a certain place the next morning this morning for food at a particular place and John was saying well honey I think that's a little out of the way but I think we can make that happen because <laughs> that's what grandfathers do that's what we do here's what you here's what I want to tell everybody I'm not trying to make you all old I'm not trying to make you second generation but some of you need to lighten up a little bit You need to lighten up a little bit. You're too hard on yourself. You're too hard on your wife. You're too hard on your husband. You're too hard on your kids. You're too hard on on, on people around you. You're too hard on people that work with you. I believe that everybody here with the Spirit of God in their life can say, hey, you all matter. Come on, let's lift everybody. We ought to be the liftingest church in the whole world because God has lifted us out of a miry pit. Come on, clap your hands. I believe in that. I believe in that. I'd like to think that parents are always supportive, but sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes God needs other family members or neighbors or friends who will supply the encouragement young people need. One of the reasons I stand at that door because I want people to know that somebody really believes they're good and they got great qualities in them. That's why God created churches. Say churches. Have you ever thought of the church as a center for encouragement? You ever thought about that? What time is it? I'm almost done. Boy, I'm going to give you all a break tonight. Some of you grew up thinking the church was a place of condemnation. You know I'm telling the truth. Because every time you left, you had your head down. You were berated. You were whipped. You were tired. Somebody walked in tonight. I love people that come straight from work to church on Wednesday night. God, still got your scrubs on. Still, Your tie's crooked. You... Had a tough day, but you showed up. God, that blesses me. And I told one lady tonight, I said, you'll leave here feeling better about yourself than when you came in the door tonight. Because this is a night of encouragement. It's not a place of condemnation. How sad. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Jonathan Edwards. I wonder how anyone else, ever, anyone ever thought that as a gospel or good news. Here's the good news. God loves sinners. God loves backsliders. God loves the hopeless. Can I share something with you? There's a young man who used to go to this church years ago that went the way of the world, went the way of a, of a, of a, of a bad life. And just the other day, he called his family and said, Dad, I was rebaptized." in the church and I've got my life together and I'm living the right kind of life and I'm whole again. That's what it's all about. It's not about condemning somebody because they're doing wrong. It's about believing that God can turn them around and they can do right again. That's the good news. That's the gospel. God is the ultimate loving grandparent seeking to help his kids. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's why God created the church to be a light in a dark world, to be salt. 
Send out love in a world of hate, hope in a world of despair, and kindness in a world of cruelty. That's who we are, and that's what we're about. Clap your hands and say amen to that. Farmer went to a restaurant owner to find out if he wanted to buy a million frog eggs, frog legs. You know, usually the critical people are very few, but many times they seem more than the encouraging people. So he asked this guy, I said, you want to buy a million frog legs? And the guy said, where could you find that many frogs? He said, they're in my pond in my backyard. My, my pond's full of them. They drive me crazy day and night. And they agreed on several hundred frog legs. And so a week later, the farmer came back with two scrawny sets of frog legs and a foolish look on his face. And he said, as he stammered, I guess I was wrong. There were just two frogs in the pond, but they sure were making a lot of noise. Y'all know I love Patty Johnson, don't you? Y'all know I love her. She's the bestest. I've ruined her. Because I brag on her so much every day, I've ruined her. I've ruined her. But I like her ruined. I like her that way. <laughs> but I remember when I, when I went through the loss of my wife and my boy. Patty came into my world. Y'all know the story. Many of you that's read the book, you know that the day that I lost my family, God spoke to her and said she would be the one that would heal me back to hell. Amen. And she'd see me at places and just smile saying, I'm going to marry that man. <laughs> and I was saying, God, give me somebody. Help me here. I don't want to date. I just want, I want, I want you to send me someone. And I'd see her and she'd say, I'm going to marry him. <laughs> God, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> but he didn't. He didn't. And I remember one time after we started seeing one another, and it was long distance, I was pastoring in Dallas, pastoring single. She lived in Houston. And we had this, this relationship. She had catch Southwest Airlines. That's when it was $15 on the weekend. <laughs> and she had come up to Dallas and stay with my assistant and his wife. And, and their phone rang a lot. And then she'd go home on Sunday night. She'd be with us on Sunday morning. She'd go home on Sunday night. And I remember going to a, a church leader one time, a superintendent of an organization. I went up to him and I said, I'm getting a lot of riffraff, elder. I'm getting a lot of riffraff, bishop. I said, I just, you know, I, I want to do what's right. I don't want to do anything that would mess me up or cause God to be not pleased with me and I'm hearing people say that that I'm I'm not pleasing God because I'm seeing somebody and and it's a you know and he looked at me and he cleared his voice and he was so smart he said son he said all them old frogs that's croaking in that pond said if you clean that pond out it's one old frog trying to be a ventriloquist <laughs> I want you to handle criticism that way because let me tell you something. God is not in putting you down. He's in lifting you. He's a part of your life. Kind of reminds me of a church that broke ground for a new 500 seat sanctuary 
Y'all like my stories, don't you? I love to tell them. It was an inventive church member made sure that everyone could participate in the experience. So he attached, now listen to this, this true story, a 145-foot handle to a stainless steel shovel that they could all be involved in to move the dirt. Now, that, folks, that's almost 50 yards of handle. You with me? And a few days later, when, the, when, when, when they all got together to do it, all 300 members squeezed in and got a hold of that shovel and they all dug at the same time and turned the dirt. So everybody was a part. And a few days later, when a construction worker spotted that old odd shovel that was almost 50 yards long in its handle, he asked what it was for. The minister said, quick-witted pastor, he said, we bury them deep around here, boy. <laughs> but that 100... That 145-foot handle was a symbol that everyone in the church was involved in the construction of the new sanctuary. And everybody in this church is involved in the construction of great attitudes among people. Come on, folks. That's what the cross is all about. For God so loved the world. Come on now. That he gave. He gave. Brother Randy, if you'll help me, years ago, when I was still pastoring in Dallas, there was a little girl that lost her life out on the west side of Dallas. Not far from the church that I pastored there on Illinois. And she was somewhere out there in those, in those pastures. She was somewhere out there. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget going out going out the next day that we had heard about the little girl and perhaps that she might be there. and She was already gone, but she might be there. I'll never forget going out and joining hands with people I didn't even know and walking through that huge area of maize and, and growing up weeds and just walking through hoping to stumble upon a little child that might just need to be discovered before she before she rotted and it was about three days later and I was not in that group but they found her she was there and they found her because everybody joined together everybody got a hold of somebody's hand and said let's go find this baby girl that's what encouragement's all about you join hands with somebody you grasp hands across the tabernacle, across the building, across your house, across your business, across anything in your life you join hands because we are the light of the world. And we find people that are hopelessly needing us. And that's what it's about. That's why Jesus is sending people to Christian Life Church. That's why you're winning people regularly because Jesus has found a center that they can come and know that they're going to be lifted and encouraged and blessed by the word of God. Isn't it great to have the gift of encouragement? Amen. Amen. I just, I just want you to, I, I want you to understand. I, I really do. I want you to understand. This is, this ain't camp meeting preaching. This is just good old Wednesday night Bible study with my people. 
But I want you to understand that no matter where you are in your life, the Bible said carpenters encourage goldsmith. The lesser encourage the greater. We always think we have to be better than to encourage down. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You can encourage up. And it's amazing what will happen to your life when you start encouraging up and start lifting people up. Because when you lift people up, you get lifted up. You feel better about yourself when you pass on a compliment, when you pass on an encouragement. There's nothing like the spirit and the attitude of encouragement. Stand to your feet, you're awesome people. I love you. Amen. I love you very, very much. I love you. And we're going we're gonna to do something here tonight. Ushers, shut the doors. Shut the doors. Shut the doors, ushers. Stand guard. We're going to have a little encouragement time right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. We're going we're gonna to walk around here a little bit. I want the balcony. I want you all to walk around a little bit. I want you to go to somebody and say, I don't know who you are. But if it's a lady to a lady, said, you look good in that dress. Your hair is good. If it's a man to a man, say, I bet I could beat you in golf, but I want to encourage you. <laughs> I want you to encourage somebody because when you encourage somebody, you get encouraged. You get lifted. You get lifted. I'll leave here tonight. I'll go home euphoric because I lifted some people here tonight. I won't sleep for a while. I'll have to stay up till past midnight tonight because I'm wound so tight. Because I feel such a glory in this house. Because the spirit of encouragement's in this house. It's just some of these tender moments that we need in the house of God. We need to share our encouraging word to one another. So turn around and shake somebody's hand behind you right quick and say, I encourage you in the Lord. I encourage you in the Lord. Come on, say somebody. Say it to somebody. I encourage you. I encourage you in the Lord. I lift you. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.